Hello again, I'm Pete Toriello. And I'm Maureen Toriello. And it's time once again for the Sonic Boomers Podcast. Program number 82, 43 Deep Green Lane, Levittown, Pennsylvania is the topic. And you may wonder why. Yeah. And if you saw our promo, which we recorded last week, we posted it up on Facebook, we were out in front of... 43 Deep Green Lane. We actually drove out to Levittown. See how dedicated we are? Shot the uh, promo from out of our car window. Drove around Levittown a little bit to check it out. And then came back here to home base. So what is the importance of 43 Deep Green Lane in Levittown? Well, Levittown is a planned community. One of four Levittowns that were built by a developer named Bill Levitt. He, his father, and his brother had a business, Levitt and Sons. Bill was basically the sales guy and the promoter. His brother, Alfred, was the designer and the architect. And his father, I, I don't know what dad did. <laughs> dad, dad actually was a... He um, wrote the checks. <laughs> he, he wrote the checks. He was actually a, a real estate lawyer okay. who created the firm. But it was basically... I think uh, Bill and, and Alfred who uh, did the did the heavy lifting. Yeah. And they built these pre-planned communities that are really credited as being the birth of suburbia right. in America. Getting people out of the cities, getting them 30, 35 miles outside of New York City. They built the first Levittown on Long Island. Then they built one very similar to it in Levittown, PA just across the Delaware River, and about an hour from where we are here. Uh, another one was built in Willingboro, New Jersey, and one was built down in Puerto Rico. And I know Levittown 1 and 2 were roughly 17,000-plus homes apiece. Incredible. You know? And uh, they were built quickly, and they were built to be sold cheap. Uh, Bill Levitt's idea was to sell these homes in the suburbs to the GIs who were coming back right. from World War II because uh, they had nowhere to go, really. Uh, there was, was no housing available. Uh, right. I mean, for many, many years while the war was going on and while it de- and prior to the, the Depression, uh, there was no homes to be built. There, the materials were being funneled into the war effort, and it was a halt on any new development and housing. So now you've got all these guys coming back, and they're ready to start families they've they've been through the war they've they've served their country and they're ready to settle down now and get married and there's no place for them to go and bill levitt saw a future in this he saw he was a bright businessman he saw an opportunity he saw an opportunity and he took it and in 1957 bill and daisy myers moved into 43 deep green lane levittown now bill was a, a engineer Daisy was an educator, two master's degrees, principal of the two little daughters, two two kids. Nothing wrong. They seem like they would be really good additions to any neighborhood. The problem had the income. They had the the degrees. They were educated. They could afford the the you know the mortgage. Uh, The problem was for Bill and Daisy Myers, they were black. They were the first black family to move into Levittown, and Levittown had a no blacks policy written into all of their deeds. And apparently that was quite common uh, back then. People tend to vilify Bill Levitt because 
these deeds were, were uncovered. It was on, PIX11 did something on it, and I, I think CBS2 did something on it a while back mm-hmm. talking about racism in Levittown and how they wrote these restrictive covenants. It was called Clause 25. Right, his, in, his name kind of got besmirched. His name kind of got besmirched. Why don't you read Clause 25? Okay. This is verbatim as it appeared in the actual lease. Right. It says, The tenant agrees not to permit the premises to be used or occupied by any person other than members of the Caucasian race, but the employment and maintenance of other than Caucasian domestic servants shall be permitted. Yeah. So when the Myers moved into Levittown, there were four months of civil unrest in front of their home. And serious. I mean, like, not not just people out there waving signs and picketing. No. I mean, there was violence. It was a riot. They had riots. It was. That's the only way to describe it. They were throwing rocks. They threw rocks through their picture window in front of the house. Threw paint on their their property them and the neighbors next door they put uh, kkk on the next door neighbors because the, there was a couple that lived next door to uh the myers the weichlers who were a white jewish couple and they helped the myers get that house and so people were out to get them too right and they were burning crosses on the lawn yeah. and uh it just frightening it went on for months and eventually people were arrested and convicted of uh, harassment and ordered to, you know, stop any future kind of activity at on pains of going to jail. And eventually it did stop, and the Myers stayed in Levittown for four years. They moved in from York, Pennsylvania. And after four years, Bill Myers got another job, and they moved back to York, mm-hmm. Pennsylvania. So how does something like Clause 25 even come to exist? Well, when they created the FHA, the Federal Housing right. Administration, in 1934. They had an economist there who did a study. And when he completed his study, he created a system. He created a handbook called the Underwriting Handbook. And it broke neighborhoods down into four categories as to who were the most desirables in terms of income and ethnicity to make a loan for a, for a home or a mortgage and who were the least desirable. And the top category was green, and those were white Europeans mm-hmm. and Anglo-Saxons. The bottom category was red, and those were blacks, Mexicans, uh, believe it or not, Southern Italians, mm. not Northern Italians. Northern Italians were considered more desirable for some reason. Yeah. Southern Italians were not. And they would redline all of these neighborhoods all over the United States. And all you needed was one black or Mexican family to live in that neighborhood. And it got redlined for mm-hmm. everybody. Yeah. I mean, that, that's incredible. Just one, one family. And that's enough to, you know, spoil it for everybody else. And if you're a developer like a Bill Levitt and Levitt wasn't the only guy, every developer, every developer who was building things in the 1930s and forties was under this codicil, mm-hmm. if, if it was going to be money from the FHA. If you were a, a home buyer and you needed a mortgage through the Veterans Affairs Administration or the FHA, that codicil was in there. If you were a developer like a Levitt and I'm building 17,000 homes and I need so many millions of dollars from the bank, you put that codicil in the deed. And Levitt, who was a Jew, 
was accused of being a racist, and he said, hey, I'm Jewish. There is no, there's no racism in my mind. There's no racism in my heart. I wish it wasn't this way, but it is the way the world is. And he later, in that same conversation, mm-hmm. he said, but I also know this. Now, these are Bill Levitt's words, not mine. He said, I also know this. If I allow one Negro family, as the word was back in those days, if I allow one Negro family to move into one of my neighborhoods, I will lose 90 or 95% of my buyers, of my white buyers. So he was willing to say, it's wrong, I wish it would change, but I'm not the guy, I'm not a Supreme Court justice, I'm right. not a senator, I'm right. not, you know, I don't sit on that bench. And he, he, kind, of, he kind of broke it, and he's like, look, I can eat... You've got a housing problem and you've got a racial problem. I could solve the housing problem or I could work on your racial problem, but I can't do both. Can't do them simultaneously. It, it's not, not going to work. The, I think the problem for Bill Levitt was in 1948, the Supreme Court struck down these racially restrictive covenants. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was uh, Kramer versus Shelley. And it was ruled that the restrictive covenants based upon race were discriminatory, and uh, they actually built their decision on the 14th Amendment, Section 1, which basically says you have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It cannot be abridged, and that right, that pursuit of happiness, includes the buying of a home or the renting of a home. Mm -hmm. That cannot be abridged based upon race. That should have been the end of those covenants. But Bill Levitt continued into the late 1950s -hmm. to have those covenants because he was afraid of what bringing a black family into one of his Levittowns would do. Would there be white flight? Would there be, would the property values fall? Right. Would there be racial unrest, which he encountered in in Pennsylvania? So, you know, these were all things that, that were on his mind. Of course. And, you know, you can't, it really can't fault him for that. I mean, that that's a valid concern at that time. But there was another builder around right. that same time named Joseph Eichler. And that's a little different story. He had kind of a different take on this. Uh, Eichler was building homes around the same time that, uh, that Levitt was. He didn't get to be as big as Levitt, I think, uh, Joseph Eichler only did maybe 10,000 homes, and most of them were in California. Beautiful homes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Joe Eichler said, I will sell a house to anybody that has the money. Yeah. I don't care if they're, they're white, if they're black. Because Joe Eichler, uh, his first taste of discrimination in housing was as a Jew himself. Right, he was in New York. And, and, and he saw the discrimination against, they wouldn't let Jews into housing. Mm-hmm. And they wouldn't let Asians or Chinese or Japanese. And so Eichler first started saying, if they want to buy an Eichler house, I'm fine with it. He was, he did express that he was a little worried mm-hmm. about a black family. He had that same thought, I think, that Bill Levitt did. Right. But Joe Eichler said he had a guy who wanted to, to buy. He was actually a, a, one of the big, big shots at the NAACP. Right. Wanted to buy an Eichler home. And Joe Eichler said, you know what? 
I'm going to do it. I'm going to sell it to him. And guess what? The gentleman moved into the neighborhood and the sky did not fall. Yeah. And they say that is where Joseph Eichler set his cap to get out there and he became a real activist for fair housing and saying, all you, you developers and you, you banks and the FHA, and you're all worried that the sky is going to fall and it doesn't have to. Right. And he proved it. And he proved it, yeah. And yeah. in fact, didn't you say that he used to go to, in the one development, he was moving, a black family was moving in. Right. And he went door to door, right? He went door to door. And this shows you what an upfront and kind of morally honest kind of guy he was. He went door to door and he says, look, just want you to know I'm Joe Eichler. I'm the developer, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I'm moving some black family in. And I just want you to know, if you can't live with this, I'll buy your home back. Yeah. He, he knocked on doors and, yeah, went everybody in the neighborhood. Yeah. If you have a problem with this, I'll buy the house back. Get out. Kind of called their bluff, yeah. really. Yeah. Because, I mean, let's face it, you know, the people may not have liked it, but how many people really want to pick up and move? You know, like, it's, it's a lot. And I, I think only in doing so, I think only one person. One person said, give me my money give back. Give me my yeah. money back. Everybody else kind of said, well, you know. But he did it. But he did you it. You know, he had the balls to do it, which was w more than Bill Levitt did. Right. And Bill Levitt ended up dying broke. He died broke. Eichler did all right. Bill Levitt became fabulously wealthy. His his face was on the cover of Time magazine. Uh, he is really considered to be the father of, of modern suburbia. suburbia. Yeah. And, I, and I think he is. But that clause really, really killed him and... and and it's not only the clause, it's his handling of his it. His handling of it and, and what happened in, in Levittown, that there was unrest. Right. All of that was kind of like a perfect storm. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and he, he was a big spender. He lived high on the hog. And he, he died broke. Yeah. I think Eichler died. I think Eichler died okay. He, I think he had money. Yeah. They asked his son, Ned, why did your father do these things? Ned or uh, they they Eichler? asked Ned why why your father uh, Ned Ned Eichler why why did your dad do these things why did he go up against the FHA and why you know why didn't he do what Bill Levitt did and Ned Eichler said because my father said it was the right thing to do mm. anybody who could afford a house that he built he was going to mm -hmm. sell it to him it was the right thing, thing to, to do. do so that is the story. Yeah, and, of, I, and I think Californians tend to be more liberal and uh, diverse, accepting. Yeah, there's no explaining California. <laughs> <laughs> they they do march to a, a different uh, drummer in, in California. But that is the story of uh, 43 Deep Green Lane. And Maureen and I wonder if the family that lives in there now, yeah. out in Levittown, if they have any idea at all of the significance of that address and what yeah. went on there in 1957 and, and what, what kind of rioting took place right there on their front lawn. Yeah. I, I would imagine that they don't. It's yeah. just my, I have no, you know, way of saying for sure, but my gut feel is that that's the kind of story that would be swept under the carpet yeah. and probably yeah. not, uh, 
not it's not a proud moment in their history, and I, I don't think there'd be too many people volunteering that information to the current owners. If you would like to learn more about Levittown, Long Island, Levittown, Pennsylvania, Levittown, Willingboro, New Jersey, if you want to know more about Eichler, E-I-C-H-L-E-R, Joseph Eichler and his homes, which are actually just called Eichlers today, we encourage you to go on to YouTube because everything is on YouTube. Everything. And there is a treasure trove of information about both of these guys and their and their housing. I also encourage you to take a look at the documentary about the rioting in Levittown called A Crisis in Levittown, where the uh, professor who hosts the documentary, uh, actually they interviewed the white families in Levittown. And how do you feel about the Myers moving in? And there is an array of answers. Mm-hmm. That is a real eye-opener. It is, and uh, you really get to see, it puts you back in time, Yeah, and, and you get to kind of get the feel of what it was like to live in those days. Yeah, it, it gives you a real feeling for the, the temperature of, of America I in think, those I days. think the guy that does it was a sociology professor, so yeah. he was studying it from yeah. a sociological standpoint. And it's only a half hour, too. Yeah, so... So check it out, A Crisis in Levittown. It's on YouTube, along with everything else. Mm-hmm. Time now for the Sonic Boomers Trivia Quiz. Yes. Are you ready? Okay, you go first. Okay. Um, I want to try and give you something that you might have a shot at. Um, Okay. This is, uh, what is it, LT? Yeah. Life and Times, I think that is? Yes, yes. Okay, Life and Times. You might have this. What was in Mantua, Ohio... Police Chief Gerald Buchert's photo that the U.S. Air Force told him not to make public. What was in Mantua, Ohio, Police Chief Gerald Buchert's photo that the U.S. Air Force told him not to make public? Your time begins now. I think you've got this. Maybe. Do you want me to read it to you again? No, I thought I'm, I'm going to make a guess. Okay. I, uh, Sort of a sort of an educated. Was it a UFO in the background? Yep, a UFO. Okay, give me mine. Okay, let's see. Yes. I'm just trying. It's hard to read these. Okay. Okay. Um, I'll give you a Life and Times one then too. Okay. What cigarettes were so round, so firm? So fully packed. <laughs> you know, I've heard that. I've heard that phrase, and I'm trying to think of what it was. So round, so firm, so fully packed. LSMFT. Well, now you've given it to me. <laughs> well, lucky strike. Yeah. LSMFT. Lucky it's strike means, means fine, fine tobacco. tobacco. Yeah. Yeah. I figured I'd give you a bone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when I was in high school, LSMFT used to mean something else, but I'm not going to say it on the okay. air. Okay. <laughs> I'll tell you when we turn the mics okay. off. Okay. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Sonic Boomers podcast. You can write to us at sonicboomers at protonmail.com with your comments about our show or maybe suggestions for future shows. And so until next time, I'm Pete Torriello. And I'm Maureen Torriello. Now get out there and make Make some some noise. noise.